Transition Essentials, a primer for understanding the in-between moments of life. Excerpts and insights from the Leader Breakthrough Transition Series. Written by Terry B. Walling. Narrated by Ivan Gustak. Contents. Introduction. Transition Quick Check. Part 1. Transitions are real. Part 2. Transitions are different. Part 3. Awakening to your calling. Part 4. Clarifying your kingdom contribution. Part 5. Completing the race set before you. Resources for your transition. End notes. Introduction. Transitions are occurring everywhere. In countries, in organizations, churches, missions, and marketplace ministries, change abounds. Everywhere we look, this is a time of global and personal transition. Transitions are a critical and essential part of personal development. Those who desire to make a difference and experience finishing well will go through a series of transitions as they apprentice the life of Christ. Most of us would rather take a past. We'd rather not face the uncertainty and confusion that often come as we try to navigate the in-between, but God views it differently. Though we may want out of a time of transition, God wants in. He does some of his most important work during times of transition. God shapes and forms our lives, clarifies our values, brings healing, and forecasts where things are heading. The question is not whether we go through times of transition, but will we lean in and get all we can out of a time of transition? Transition Essentials seeks to put core insights related to navigating life and leadership transitions into an easy-to-use, short-read overview. The insights within are the result of 30 years of personal development coaching and 40 years of lifelong development resources. Part 1. Find out more about God's purposes in a transition. Part 2. Find out about the characteristics of a transition. Part 3. Find out about the awakening transition. Part 4. Find out about the deciding transition. Part 5. Find out about the finishing transition. Transition resources. This resource includes a summary of critical elements concerning transitions, a series of narratives to better understand transitions, and questions to help with the processing of your transition. Each section of this booklet are excerpts from the Leader Breakthrough Transition series, Stuck, Awakening, Deciding, and Finishing. So how do you know if you're actually in a personal development transition? The Transition Quick Check on the next page has been created as a snapshot to help you as you begin to discern whether or not you're in a transition. Transition Quick Check. All of us experience times of transition as we go through life. The quick check below provides a simple way to assess yourself and your life over the last few months and surface the potential of being in a transition. Which side of the list of characteristics do you see yourself leaning towards? Contrast the words found on the left and the right. Circle the score that most closely reflects your experience over the last three to six months. Tip. Your first response is usually your best response. Score from one to five how you currently relate with the following characteristics. One being certainty, five being confusion. One settled, five restless. One confident, five doubtful. One secure, five insecure. One peaceful, five anxious. One focused, five scattered. One busy, five inactive. One positive, five uncertain. One close to God, five distant to God. One good results, five no results. One courageous, five timid.
timid. One, hopeful. Five, depressed. Total score. Understanding your quick check score. Just as the left side characteristics, those represented by the number one, are not realistically attainable every moment of our lives, neither is the right side, those represented by the number five, always are a part of our lives. However, with the transition comes a certain set of characteristics. The right side, or those with the number five, are the list that reflects characteristics of a time of transition. The difference between a difficult period and a transition is the persistence and the longevity of the right side characteristics. The higher your score, the greater potential that you may be in the midst of a transition. A score of 36 to 47 indicates the potential of being in a transition. A score of 48 or more indicates that you are almost certainly in the time of a transition. A couple other factors to consider. Number one, longevity. How long have you felt this to be a reflection of your situation? Example, what do you feel your score would have been three months ago or six months ago? Number two, occupation. Transitions are first and foremost about personal development rather than just vocation. To help you evaluate frustrations related to your job, first evaluate your growth and development. Transitions are more reflected by times of personal frustrations related to life, meaning, purpose, etc. Number three, input. All of us are subjective when it comes to personal assessments and evaluation. Scores and results like these should always be processed with a coach or someone who can help you reach a more objective viewpoint on the scores and overall results. A final note, at times transitions can also bring about times of more serious depression. The key difference is that transitions tend to be an ongoing quote unquote state someone finds themselves in, while depression is often the feeling of continuing to slide downward. Either way, it's recommended that you find someone who can walk with you and provide coaching as you work through this time. Part one, transitions are real. So much of this life is lived in between, between the now and the not yet, between arriving and departing, between growing up and growing old, between questions and answers. Lord, help us not to live for the distant day when the in-between will be no more, but help us to have the courage to step into the sacred space of the in-between, knowing that this is a place where life is transformed. Jim Branch, The Blue Book. Every transition begins with an ending. We have to let go of the old thing before we can pick up the new. Not just outwardly, but inwardly. William Bridges, Managing Transitions. The defining moment recounted below is true. It's the story of an actual Christ follower who lives and is committed to please his God. He thought he knew what God wanted him to do. And then it happened. Terry, you've got to help me out. Something's all wrong. I don't know what's happening. Okay, slow down, I responded. Tell me what's up, Daniel. What's going on? I don't know what's going on. That's the point. I don't know if I'm confused, depressed, lazy, or all three. Am I losing it? I don't know where I am anymore. And I have no clue where I'm going. What brought all this on? I asked. I know things have been tough, but the last time we talked, you seemed to feel like you were on track. I know, he replied, but now I wonder if I've been off for some time. No matter what I try, nothing seems to get any better. And worst of all, God has gone silent. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do, but I feel like I've completely lost the plot. 
Slow down, I responded as calmly as possible. Let's walk our way back through this time together. It sounds like there's more going on here than just a bad week. Daniel and I proceeded to walk back through his past and then forward through the months of fog and uncertainty that had clearly descended on his life. Step by step, we trudged through the self-doubt, questions of adequacy, and fears that somehow he had gotten things wrong in terms of knowing what God wanted. The real problem wasn't that Daniel had gotten it wrong, but rather, the more he tried to sort it all out, the more his paralysis spread. Every door he tried to pry open to help answer his confusion proved to be yet another dead end. Daniel was stuck. Daniel and his wife are among the best and most gifted Christ followers I know. Long ago, they had surrendered their lives to the control of Jesus Christ, and they followed their king to the front lines of Christian ministry. Somehow, we can let ourselves get trapped into thinking that our best and brightest are beyond the moments of feeling lost. But that's not true. No matter how mature one may be as a Christian, a person can only handle so much frustration, confusion, and lack of direction before he or she begins to lose hope. Daniel had done all the right things, yet answers from God seemed to move further and further away. I was beginning to hear and feel a loss of resolve seeping into his voice as we continued our coaching relationship over the phone. Behind him was a place where he knew he couldn't return to his spiritual growth, but ahead of him was a path for the next chapter with God that was both unknown and uncertain. Daniel was on a pilgrimage of character that all Christ followers must face from time to time. It was much more than merely a period of frustration or things not going his way. Instead, Daniel had entered a defining moment in his development as a leader and Christ follower called a transition. Without exception, every committed Christ follower and leader will be called to travel this same road. But as he traveled, Daniel hit a danger moment in his transition. The endless loop of frustration and confusion had taken its toll. He was close to the edge of losing the new ministry God had for him. From the outside, I could see a trap being set. His weariness and confusion were being used by the enemy to lure Daniel away from all that God was intending to do within him. Like so many before him, Daniel wanted an easy fix or a shortcut to a deeper, true work of God. Many committed Christ followers have jumped off-road as a result of times like these. Short-circuited transitions have led to times of plateau, arrested development, and even walking away from the faith. Who doesn't want to fast-forward to the good stuff? Who doesn't want hope more than confusion and to live in victory as opposed to apparent failure? However noble we may each look on the outside, we've all flirted with how we might quietly skip the hard stuff. Our many books and workshops often serve to fuel those shortcut desires. Type A individuals are especially at risk. They typically want to cut to the chase, quote unquote, get to the finish line and forego the mess of wandering deeper into the processing fog. Whatever your personality type, we all hit those moments when enough is enough. Transitions occur in the lives of business people, vocational ministers, homemakers, students, young and old, church and non-churched alike. For Christ followers, something more is occurring. Something more than just a change in career direction or the need for new scenery. God does some of his most important formation during the transition times of his followers. He sculpts life purpose and direction during the in-between times of our lives. Transitions aren't new. Transitions push Moses onward, moving him beyond his doubts and inadequacies. 
a major transition occurred in Joshua's life that thrust him into a major role of leadership, taking the Israelites into the Promised Land. It was a series of life transitions that transformed a fisherman named Peter into an apostolic leader of the early church. Transitions were also used to advance the lives and leadership roles of Bonhoeffer, Wesley, and Moody, along with more contemporary figures like Graham, Bright, and Warren. Each of those who have gone before us have experienced major times of in-between, times full of uncertainty and questions en route to living lives that please God. Transitions are also occurring in the lives of people like you and me. They happen every day among faithful followers of Jesus. Moms, kids, friends, brothers and sisters, work associates, and more all experience transitions. God uses transitions to both deepen and widen the influence of those who choose to love Christ with their lives. It was nearly two years later when I received a phone message from Daniel. The recorded cell phone update was short, clear, and enthusiastic. Hey Walling, I've had a breakthrough. I see what's next and what God is at work doing. Don't coach me anymore about this in-between transition stuff. God is speaking again. Hallelujah. Call me if you want to know more. If not, just get out of my way. I'm moving out. See ya. Rosie and Martin. On April 21st, 1980, Rosie Ruiz crossed the finish line as the first female finisher in the 84th Boston Marathon and in record time. Or did she? Race official determined later that she had not completed the entire 26.2 mile course. Instead, she had registered for the race, joined the other runners near the end, and sprinted to the finish line as the apparent winner. No one had actually seen her running in the race. She didn't appear in any of the videotape footage. Members of the crowd only reported seeing her enter the race in the last mile. Her time of 2 hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds was an unusual improvement of more than 25 minutes ahead of her quote-unquote reported time in the New York City Marathon just six months earlier. In 2001, the New York City Marathon race officials posted a fifth-place finish for Martin Franklin. The problem, however, was that Franklin ran only the start and the finish of the race. At the start, he stood proudly on the Verrazano Bridge. The gun went off and he started the race, along with the other runners. Franklin had obviously studied his profession. His approach to winning the marathon was the same as Rosie Ruiz in 1980. He began the race, but then left the race to take the subway. Franklin had a history of cheating in races. Apparently, he showed up in earlier races portraying himself as an elite runner and athlete. He did so at the Green Bay Marathon, the Vermont City Marathon, and the San Diego Marathon. He was awarded $200 at the Green Bay Marathon for his quote-unquote finishing time in the race. Franklin was spotted by riders on the nearby subway. He exited at 8th Avenue and was seen heading towards the finish line wearing his championship spandex uniform. The observers joked that he must be doing some serious cheating. Franklin did not let their words deter him. A few minutes later, these same observers were shocked to see Mr. Franklin making his final sprint to the finish. Race officials challenged Franklin after the race, but he remained insistent that he had run the entire distance regardless of what the witnesses had said. Franklin was next spotted skipping town. Who knows where he is today? He might be on the subway somewhere, riding with Rosie. Are you stuck? Are you running the race yet caught in an endless loop of uncertainty? Do you need answers now, but none seem forthcoming? Or do you remember a time like this in your journey as a Christ follower? Or maybe your instincts are telling you that a moment like this looms on the horizon. You wouldn't be the first to want to skip ahead. 
to take a quick subway ride to the finish line. Applause for all of us feels so much better than isolation and despair. No one likes being stuck. Everyone is prone to want to shortcut a transition to get onto greater spiritual growth. Don't do it. It's vital for you to get all you can out of the transitions you face. Instead, draw encouragement and courage from the truth that all Christ followers go through times of transition. In the end, transitions produce the new clarity and hope you crave. Transition moments are defining moments that perform an important personal development purpose. The more you know and learn God's purposes in the midst of transitions, the more you can join him in his shaping of your life. Applying it. In this first chapter, we establish the reality that transition moments occur in the lives of all Christ followers, even the most passionate and committed. In the next chapter, we'll define and describe transitions in greater detail. Part two will also explain some of the reasons why Christ followers must go through a series of transitions in his or her life. Before going on, stop and reflect for a moment. Describe what you felt during the last few months. List some key words that seem to characterize what's going on right now. What's happening between you and God? Do you have a sense that there's something more going on? If so, what? Spend some time journaling your thoughts before going on to the next chapter. Part 2. Transitions are different. We spend most of our lives trying to make things happen for ourselves and for the people we love. But life cannot be reduced to what you give or know or achieve. Life is not reduced to your mistakes, your failures, or your sin. Life isn't even defined by whom you love. Rather, it is defined by the God who loves you. M. Craig Barnes, Sacred Thirst until Christ is formed in you. Galatians 4.19 Christian success stories abound. Men and women who are victorious in their faith are paraded in front of those struggling and hungry for something different. It is almost impossible to not be tempted, and even envious of another person's success and breakthroughs. And although many try to make sure that we don't copy their methods, we do it anyway, believing that their answers can become our own. The issue is that the apparent success is misleading. Hidden from us are the in-between moments of confusion and transition that drive a Christ follower deeper into the heart of God. Times of isolation, restlessness, conflict, and deep inner struggles will be used by God to produce different kinds of lives and ministries. Transitions are often the defining moments where godly character is forged. God imparts his presence and authority to those who allow him to work them through times of transition. Kingdom influence is the byproduct of men and women who allow God to do a deeper work in their lives. As darkness descends on a post-Christian Western culture, Christ's followers need to know about personal and organizational transitions now more than ever. The days ahead will be different than any we've faced before. The days and times are ripe with change. These moments often catalyze personal transitions. The question remains, Will we stay on the surface and try to copy someone else's methods? Or will we allow God to transition each of our walks with him to a new place? Characteristics of a transition. A transition is an in-between period in the life development of a Christ follower. In a transition, individuals consolidate past learning, process issues of character, deepen convictions and values, and are prepared for the next phase of their development. Transitions bring closure to the past in order to move forward to the next stage of personal development. Transitions are characterized by a prolonged period of restlessness, self-doubt, lack of motivation, stagnation, 
diminished confidence, lack of direction, distance from God, isolation, relational conflict and tension, lack of effectiveness, and a struggle to stay focused and motivated. You may currently feel some of these traits on a regular basis, but with a transition, characteristics like these persist over a prolonged period of time. Another way to recognize a transition is the realization of the deeper work that God is doing. Transitions are more about character development than job description. In a transition, God turns the searchlight on the heart. Transitions are often filled with far more questions than answers. Questions such as, why have I lost my passion? Why can't I shake this restlessness? Why do I feel so isolated? Why all the inconsistencies? Why do I keep rehearsing tapes from the past? What would happen if I do step out? What if I fail? In the midst of all these questions, it's important to keep in mind some truths about transition, including transitions take time, often from three months to three years. They're common to every Christ follower. They involve revisiting difficult moments and struggles. They are often intensified when a Christ follower is also leading others. They are a major tool used by God to shape character and life direction. They come to an end. We crave certainty, but God desires to give his followers clarity. Transitions often bring clarity to Christ followers on three fronts, self-definition, role, and new paradigms. Let's explore each of these. Self-definition. God uses transitions to help followers press into greater clarity about who they are. Self-knowledge is essential for emotional health and for coming to terms with one's unique contribution. God uses transitions to help Christ followers discover who they are, but also who they aren't. For these reasons, transitions often include struggles with self-confidence, relational tensions with family and friends, feelings of self-worth, and the lack of acceptance, and struggles with fear and personal inadequacy. Role. Role is about more than one's job. Role has to do with contribution. Over a lifetime, God desires to bring to the surface the good works that he's authored for all Christ followers. Ephesians 2.10. Each person is gifted to make an impact. Transitions bring clarity to the working together of one's abilities, skills, and spiritual gifts. Role clarifies contribution in the church, on the job, and in your family and community. For these reasons, transitions often include ongoing frustrations over effectiveness, continued struggle with job fit, and restlessness over passion and contribution. A hunger grows not to just live a life of busy work. Paradigms. Transitions also bring to the surface the need for new knowledge and necessary changes in one's paradigms. In order to move forward, each Christ follower needs to think in new ways, as well as achieve greater clarity in one's knowledge base. Lifelong learning is one key to finishing well. A breakthrough in worldview often comes with new opportunities and options. For these reasons, transitions often include challenges to one's presuppositions, disturb plateaus in growth, bring to the surface the need for education and training, and create an internal restlessness for a deeper journey with God. Different. Almost every person I know describes their life with God as going differently than they expected or planned. The unexpected surprises even the faithful. Life often becomes too planned and ordered, so God intervenes and the different begins to happen. Somewhere, different becomes the destination, and something different becomes the desired end result. Different is often born out of the transition moments in one's journey. Going through transition is about God having the right to be God. Transitions forge new trust. Without transitions, we would slide into a malaise of the same 
and stop growing. Because of this, God allows the difficult, the confusing, and even the hurtful to enter life, not because of his lack of caring, but to take us deeper into our pursuit of him. What makes this issue of greater relevance and impact today is the unprecedented global change that now drives life into a time of perpetual transition. The speed of change is throwing fuel upon the intensity already present in transitions. What's really around the bend? We need to admit to ourselves that we don't know. None of us is really quite sure what lies ahead. At best, we're defining what will be post-modernity by what is not modernity. One thing is clear though, life has changed and it will be different than the one most of us have known and found comfort in. The formula-driven Christianity and the three or five simple steps that we studied in the past won't work for today or for tomorrow. The future must be forged from a realization that we live in a different land. We're a part of a different world and need a different kind of faith, one built upon the reality of change and a deeper intimacy with Christ. But to get there, it'll take the courage to go to a different place, be a different kind of church, and walk a different path, a path a transition can produce. Applying it. Think of a time of transition in your life. Retrieve it from your memory. What happened? What was different about yourself as a result? In this chapter, we define the characteristics of a transition and discuss the benefits that Christ followers gain from transitions. In the next chapter, we'll discuss the role that transitions play in the lifelong development of Christ followers. Dive deeper, stuck. This overview is fleshed out in greater detail in my book, Stuck, Navigating the Transitions of Life and Leadership. It offers a more in-depth understanding of the purpose of a transition, a transition life cycle that provides you a roadmap for how transitions often occur. It also provides insights into three strategic transitions and four quote-unquote looks that can help you to more deeply process a transition. Stuck also includes coaching questions and a small group outline to help you process the ideas of transitions with others. In Stuck, we identify three major strategic transitions that all Christ followers will go through. The next three sections of Transition Essentials shed light and insight on those three transitions. Each is highlighted and includes a summary guide. In the next chapter, we highlight the first of three transitions, the Awakening Transition. Awakening Transition, typical age, 20s to 30s. Issue, life direction. Development issue, identity. Coaching focus, values. Coach's role and contribution, belief and clarity. Key skill, assessing. Benefit of coaching, processing options. Transition focus. Decision or indecision related to future focus, purpose, and vocation. Where are they? Ministry maturing A. Challenge. Often feel locked out. What's at stake? New kingdom expression. What not to do? Premature answers or advice giving. What's needed? Processing time and relationship. Coaching questions. Tell me about some of your dreams for the future. What do you believe stands in your way of those becoming a reality? If you could focus on something where you could make a difference, what would that be? What excites you the most in terms of some possible directions and or pathways forward? What discourages you the most? What does your past or the things you've already done reveal about your passion and possibilities? What feels unclear about the future? What could we talk about that might help? Who do you know that is doing something similar to what God has put on your heart?
How aware are you of God's leading in all of this? When have you felt like you've heard from God? In what ways has he used to speak to you? What do you see that could be a first step to following what God might have for you? Part 3. Awakening to your calling. Left to ourselves, we can never handle our own uniqueness. We have to give the burden of being me to God's care and nurture. James Houston, The Transforming Power of Prayer. We push ourselves to wield influence or to make a mark. Often we call that vocation, but Jesus calls it temptation. He has no patience with the one who insists he jump from the temple to show his power or turn stones into bread to prove his ministry credentials. He has heard God speak of his belovedness as God's son. That forms the basis of what he does and knows himself called to do. Henry Nouwen, Turn My Morning Into Dancing. We must attune ourselves to the unexpected movements of grace, which do not fit our own preconceived ideas of a spiritual life at all and which in no way flatter our own ambitious aspirations. Thomas Merton, Spiritual Direction and Meditation. A narrative. We need you. We want you to be a part of our team. We'd like to offer you a job. Finally, the breakthrough. These words are golden for anyone hungering to get out of the mundane, for anyone waiting to finally get a chance to move into something more significant. It's like the clouds are opening up and you can feel the warmth of the sun for the first time. For a young leader I had been coaching, the offer of a hoped-for place to belong was just that, and the offer came more than just in time. His final years of college felt irrelevant, just passing the time, waiting on a degree he doubted that he really needed. He often wondered how his schoolwork related to what he knew he really wanted to do with his life. To receive an offer to join a company that valued him and knew what he could offer, not to mention in a field in which he had the skills, all felt too good to be true. He knew it didn't always happen like this, so it felt like something deeper was going on. He had been praying for God to lead his way forward. Patience had never been this individual's strong suit. It's just not how he was made. Life had been lived in the hurry-up mode, and it always seemed important for him to live one step ahead. So, coming to terms with waiting, then not knowing what he really was supposed to do with his life, had not been easy. In truth, he knew very little about where he was ultimately heading. He just knew he was tired of waiting, and there had to be something more on the horizon. His instincts were telling him that he was facing an important moment, but not the final answer. He was looking for some kind of sign that God was working and leading. He had surrendered his life to Christ, but what did God really want him to do? The new job seemed like that sign. It meant a geographical move. The scenery would change from the familiar to a world of new and different. That felt exciting and good. Out there might be some of his answers, his answers for where his life was headed, but he needed another set of eyes to look at it all over. Again, it was as if it was all too good to be true. Had God really moved in and opened the way forward? Was Christ at work in all of this? Was he confirming his call to the marketplace to use his skills in graphic design in the corporate world? As one who has the privilege of coaching people like Kyle, I enjoyed sitting back and celebrating this new opportunity. Some of those I coach face important times of decision, crossroad moments in one's life where that person is being challenged to walk down previously unknown paths. Almost all of those I walk alongside want to gain greater voice recognition of Christ. They're seeking to clarify issues of direction and life purpose. The more the answers don't come, the more their frustration builds and the more they turn to people like me. 
They are passionate to sense God's direction for their lives, but are often confused by the delays and the waiting. When answers finally do come, they're often relieved and excited, but can find themselves wondering if this is God really leading, or if this will lead to what they really want. The offer had come just in time. And by the way, the offer rarely comes early. As we looked back over his life, it seemed as if the Lord always took Kyle right down to the last minute, just when something needed to happen, or when it looked like nothing would ever happen, something did. A person came along, a new option surfaces, a clear path opens up, a new opportunity presents itself, etc. Kyle hungered for a clear sense of direction, not only concerning a job, but also in terms of what God had in mind for his future. He had prayed, yet for many months, answers seemed to be slow in coming. Like most, he struggled with all the waiting. But one good thing about Kyle was that he was determined not to make a move forward without knowing his next steps were in line with God's desires, at least as best as he could determine. As we sat together at a local coffee shop, I read through the proposal. Jobs like the one being offered were hard to land right out of college. In this offer, though, it all seemed to have come together. The warm sun breaking through the hazy clouds overhead was almost a sign that the breakthrough he needed had come. Though Kyle was ready to start tomorrow, jump ship, skip all the graduation stuff, and get on with his next step, he wanted to be sure. So what do you think? He asked. Does it all look okay? I think it looks pretty great, I replied. It's an incredible way to start out, he said. A job like this one right out of the chute is amazing. It all looks really great to me, bud, especially in light of how God has been at work in your journey. I went on to explain. It feels to me like you're being invited into a great job, but also something more than a job. Yeah, the job is what a lot of people would kill for, but I sense that the Lord is honoring your earlier decisions to chase the passion of your heart and not just to land a job. The guys running the company are Christians. They have a passion for seeing their skills and abilities used for the kingdom. And they know that what God wants for you is important to you. I'm pretty excited. I think you're right, said Kyle. I feel like this is the beginning of something. I'm not quite sure where all this is heading, but it feels like God is opening this door, wanting me to trust him and follow where he may want to take my life. I sat back and watched as Kyle processed the moment, realizing that something more was at play. We both knew that this moment was the beginning of other important moments ahead. God was taking the lead, and Kyle knew the job was a front for more that was yet to unfold. Kyle took the job. He soon discovered that this moment launched him into a time of transition, a time of awakening. The job was God's invitation to something more. It was the beginning of the journey to unfold God's unique call upon his life. The choice of the job would become the way the Lord would take him down a different path, He would later be surprised at the outcome, but first steps begin somewhere. Christ had begun to speak deep into Kyle's heart. Come, follow me. The door had opened. Kyle was being called to a new place. His life, like each of our lives, is profoundly shaped by moments just like these. It's just how God does things. Life decisions often are about more than just jobs, or decisions about college, or the choice of a spouse. We are meant to live for so much more, And God uses people, events, and circumstances to shape our lives. Narrative Thoughts As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark 1, 16-20 
many of us have heard stories like Kyle's. Some of us have even lived a similar narrative. Most of us have read the account when the early disciples became disciples. All of us have been through moments of waiting, wanting life direction to clarify, struggling with answers that have not yet come. Whether around the table at your local coffee shop or on the distant shores of the Sea of Galilee, awakening occurs when Jesus moves into our lives and asks for control. The time of the first awakening is always about issues of control, trust, and risk. Can God be trusted? And will we risk that uncertainty and follow? I continue to be stunned by how quickly these early disciples respond to Christ's invitation. Are you? The abandonment of all they knew, their willingness to follow the one they had barely met, and all that they did not know en route to finding the life they knew not of until they found it. It's big. I marvel similarly at the moments I have had the privilege of witnessing when Christ's followers make choices to respond to God's voice and align their lives to what Christ wants. I've had the incredible honor of listening to their hearts come alive as they awaken to God's sovereign shaping work. Moments like these are defining moments. Life changes, moving from living according to what others expect for our lives and what the culture has shaped it to be, to what God has designed before time began. Make no mistake, the moments of awakening and calling can be both exciting and threatening. These are the moments in which all of life changes. Jesus' invitation is not to join a religion. His call is not to imitate what others have done. He wants nothing to do with turning us into church attenders alone. God seeks to awaken each of our hearts to an important discovery, that each of our lives has an eternal destiny and purpose far beyond the navigating of life's key decisions. Jesus could have focused his calling on those known to be religious and devoted. He could have gone out to the studied ones, the masters of the law, the zealots, the ceremonially committed. But his invitation was extended to a different tribe, the hungry and the honest, those who know that they are in need of a leader, the sick, the hurting, the emotionally scarred, those needing a physician. And Jesus continues to call people, just like those who first responded, people like you and I, who work in the marketplace, live in neighborhoods, walk on campus, live in the trenches, and whose pedigree is a different kind of life. We are the overlooked and the unnoticed. Jesus bypassed the obvious in order to call those he wanted, Mark 3.13. He goes after the authentic, those who dare to be themselves before him. He craves people who are the non-pretenders. He went after those who would have enough courage to break free and follow. For most, Christ's call to follow me rings with familiarity. But it's essential to remember that Jesus, quote-unquote, called the disciples to simply follow life as he prescribed, to be more than just those who attend religious gathering. He summons us to community and an experience of life that would imitate his life, a life of intimacy and dependence on the will of the Father. This life is countercultural to what all of us who follow had known and lived. Jesus framed this life when he called his first disciples. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him, those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. Mark 3, 13-15. The life for Christ must first be experienced with Christ. Awakening is first and foremost a call to experience Christ and a life of intimacy with him before it is a call to do work for him. It's a call to someone before it is a call to do something. Whether clothed in Kyle's stepping into the right job or the disciples stepping away from their familiar, right from the start, Jesus signaled that the source of our lives would be our journey into him. The awakening and the call are not about ambition, 
They're about alignment and relationship. Christ's calling is not the building of lasting institutions, the pennying of theological treatise, or the need to rebrand the religion of the day. Jesus came to model a life of intimacy with the Father and a life that was possible, lived out each day between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We too can enter that kind of intimacy and relationship. Matthew 3.17 states, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Our calling is an awakening to that same unconditional love that stands on a seashore or whispers behind a potential new job. Let me love you in a way you've never known and with a power that will change you and the world in which you live. We know the response of the fishermen was immediate. At once they left. They left all they knew about quote-unquote life in search of life. Immediate detachment. Separation from all that was known and accepted up to that point walking away from all that their culture had programmed them to be and to do. At once, they left all their security, even leaving family and friends standing in the boat, and followed. And along the way, this same response of surrender and alignment would be called for again. It was Simon Peter who answered Jesus' question of whether they too would desert him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John 6, 68. Why do men and women today respond to this call from Christ in a similar way? It is because Christ's followers begin to discover that their hearts have become sovereignly sensitized, designed to respond the moment they brush up against their sense of destiny. Calling is not something you invent. It is something you discover. It surfaces each time we hear the whisper of the triune God and catch a glimpse of the plans etched long ago. Calling propels a life forward. It is a hunger to know who we are and what God has for us to do. Calling is about intimacy and the good deeds that God authored before time began. Psalms 139 verses 13 through 16 and Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. The life giver awakens hearts and lives to experience true life and all that it means. You and I were never meant to live for a job or a title or the things we can possess or accomplish. You and I were meant to live for so much more to know Christ in all of his fullness, and out of that union, to participate in displaying life as he designed it. Are you ready? Christ could be extending this very same invitation to you today. It is a call on your life much bigger than your current plans or what you could possibly dream. It's an awakening to something more. You are meant to live for so much more. Untangling. The focus of the awakening transition is that of direction, identity, and personal calling. To understand the idea of calling, it must first be untangled. Compare the following statements with your current understanding of calling. Is this how you see calling? Calling is sourced in an individual's passion for greater relationship and intimacy with Christ. Calling is dynamic and shaped over time. It unfolds over a lifetime as one seeks to live in relationship with Christ and love him to the end. Our quote-unquote first order call is to be before it is a call to do. Calling is much more than vocation, with each of us called into a life of ministry. Calling applies to all Christ followers. The Lord sculpts calling, as opposed to us seeking to respond to what God has done for us and the ambition that it can subtly produce. God sculpts callings as he allows the people, events, and circumstances to reveal our place and role in his kingdom. Calling is discovered, not invented. It is birthed with others in the context of community and ministry and is the product of obedience. Calling serves as a compass, setting the true north of a life and day-to-day -day direction. How'd you do? Is this what you know calling to be? 
take a few moments and go back and review the statements above. In his book, The Call, Oz Guinness documents a historical view of calling, a view in line with that of this book. It was the Puritans' belief and understanding that calling extends to all Christians, not just to a separate clergy. For them, calling is endowed to each believer at the point of conversion. Every follower of Christ is quote-unquote called into ministry, and over his or her lifetime is entrusted with a personal call to ministry and to live for Christ, regardless of training, gifting, or position. The Puritans subscribed to the notion that each life had and was to be lived with the sense of sovereign call and purpose. Guinness summarizes, Our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, God, not to something, such as motherhood, politics, or teaching, or to somewhere, such as the inner city or outer Mongolia, page 31. Our secondary calling, considering who God is as sovereign, is that everyone, everywhere, and everything should think, speak, and live, and act entirely for him, page 31. Calling is a God-birthed and God-inspired mandate on a life, seared deep into the longings of a heart before time began, shaped into existence by God himself, and intended for expression to a world separated from God. It is a description of Christ's followers' unique life purpose. Clarity on one's calling becomes like a compass that guides and directs future decision-making. Calling defines, quote-unquote, the true north and sets a life on a path to be lived out. In the awakening transition, God begins the process of stirring the soul to give clarity to one's call. Passions are ignited, deep desires are made known, and a course begins to emerge, often revealing a different life trajectory. New passion and devotion comes not out of obligation or duty now, but out of wanting to live a life that counts. Living true to this new passion also begins to build greater self-awareness and clarity in one's identity. No longer known by our families of birth, our status in society, our job we hold, or the accumulation of wealth, we are known by who we know. We are now sons and daughters of the King named Jesus, and we serve His kingdom, not our own. The church groans and limps along today because we've locked up the concepts of calling into a corner called vocational ministry, and thus bound the hands of a struggling church that is far greater than she's ever exhibited. In the awakening transition, the follower learns that Christ's voice can and must be recognized, sometimes even above those who claim to represent him. His voice is not in the wind, earthquake, or fire, but in the still small voice. 1 Kings 19, 11-12 One final comment about the time of awakening and personal calling. In the awakening transition, it is not uncommon to hear expressions of both excitement and passion joined together with doubts and feelings of personal inadequacy. This wide range of emotions can confuse those who want to follow Christ into a new place, making them feel that they are not qualified, that their past disqualifies them, and that their abilities are lacking. These responses are not any different from those we see in Scripture. The prophet Isaiah voiced same personal disqualifications, quote, I'm a man of unclean, unworthy lips, end quote, Isaiah 6.5. Jeremiah also doubted his worthiness, crying out that he was too young and not qualified for such a call, Jeremiah 1, 6-9. And Paul called Timothy not to despise his young age, 1 Timothy 4.12. It should come as no surprise then that those whose hearts are awakened to Christ's call are prime target for the enemy to sow doubts and intimidation. Calling provides direction. It's the summation for Christ's followers of where God is leading his or her life and how God has shaped his or her life in ministry. It is a compass that helps steer future decision-making in the days ahead. We will discuss the concept of calling later in this book. Dive Deeper, Awakening. 
This overview provided you with Chapter 1 of Leader Breakthrough book focused on this first strategic transition. The book Awakening, Awakening to the Call of God, includes a deeper, more complete view of this major transition that often occurs somewhere in the early 20s to late 30s of a leader's life. By applying the transition life cycle, it provides a look at how the transition often progresses. God's purposes in the transition help to provide life direction and core values for the days ahead. The book also includes coaching questions and a small group outline to help you process the idea of transitions with others. The Awakening Transition is the first of three major or strategic transitions that all Christ followers' lives pass through. Somewhere in the early 40s, a new restlessness begins to surface. Of all things that I could do, and that must be done, what are the most important things? And how do I say no to the good things in order to say yes to the best? Another resource. Check out the Leader Breakthrough online process, Focus Living, at leaderbreakthrough.com backslash focus dash living. In the next chapter, we highlight the second of three transitions, the deciding transition. Deciding transition. Typical age, 40s to 50s. Issue, life priorities. Development issue, differentiation. Coaching focus, role slash methods. Coach's role slash contribution, courage and choices. Key skill, challenging. Benefit of coaching, first look at contribution. Transition focus saying yes in order to say no, what they could do versus what they must do. Where are they? Ministry maturing B slash life maturing. Challenge, generalist versus unique contribution. What's at stake? Plateau slash arrested development. What not to do? Decide for them slash loss of ownership. What's needed? Challenge slash processing of options. Coaching questions. If I were to sit down and to talk to someone who would say you have influenced their life the most, what would they tell me? Talk about a few things you would love to do more of or focus on if you had more time. What do you find yourself saying yes to more than you should? What are you not saying no to that you know you should? When do you know God is using you? What are you typically doing when you sense that? When others have affirmed that God has used you in their life, how do they say that you've helped them? What do they say that you do well? What choices do you need to make in the days ahead to be able to do more of what God has shaped you to do? What major roadblocks need to be overcome in order for you to be free to be you in the days ahead? Part 4. Clarifying Your Kingdom Contribution Never once did it occur to me that when I found that trail again, it would ruin my life forever. For once you feel the breath of God on your skin, you can never turn back. You can never settle for what was. You can only move on recklessly, with abandon, your heart filled with fear, and your ears ringing with the constant words of encouragement, fear not. Mike Yanconelli. The more we get of what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Something more. Many Christ followers are quietly leaving the church, they remain passionate about Christ, and they hunger for a deeper journey with God, but they no longer see the local church as the place where they can go further in their walks with God. They're not mad, rather they've just grown uninterested. Their leaving reflects first-hand experiences that have led them to conclude that churches are ill-equipped to support the life they'd hoped. They are disengaging from the church, but not from God. In the past, those leaving have often been the disgruntled ones who wanted the ministries and the decisions of the church to fit their preferences, 
but many who leave now are the ones who have led ministries, taught Bible studies, and served on church boards. They are the ones their local churches counted on to be there when the doors opened, but now many have gone missing. For all intent and purposes, they have become refugees, displaced by a church that decided to cater to those who are at an earlier stage of their faith. Some have given this group a name. They are called the Duns or the Dechurched. The research commissioned by Willow Creek Community Church in 2008 and its corresponding report entitled, quote, Reveal, end quote, captured a startling truth. Willow Creek had been successful in meeting the spiritual needs of those who described themselves as, quote, exploring Christianity, end quote, or, quote, growing in Christ, end quote. But it has been less successful at doing so with those who self-report as being, quote, close to Christ, end quote, or, quote, Christ-centered, end quote. In fact, one-fourth of the last two groups said that they are either, quote, stalled, end quote, in their spiritual growth and or dissatisfied with the church. In recent years, local churches in the West have spent much time and energy attracting seekers to its doors. Attempts have also been made to see those new attendees move towards, quote, making a decision for Christ, end quote, and find their way into discipleship classes and small groups with the hope that their new faith in Christ would grow. The church has gone even further. Local churches have sought to communicate to responders and seekers alike that they could live a life of purpose. Thousands have studied the purpose-driven life and learned that their life in Christ has meaning beyond conversion. In small groups all over America, they heard that they are, quote-unquote, called by God to make a difference in their world. And yet, somehow, in some way, these efforts did not translate into a deeper walk in life with Christ. Could it be that there is something more? It's interesting to note that there was never a time when Jesus stopped discipling the disciples. Every moment was used to shape their lives. And after he left, the discipling process continued. As the early church grew, their new assignments and tasks shaped their influence and called them into even deeper intimacy with him. The problem today is that many believers have been abandoned after the initial stages of faith, leaving them unsure about what's next. The issue has not so much been the message or the messengers, but the approach. The expedient culture of our day has turned discipleship into 8-12 to 12 training sessions held in a classroom, utilizing a, quote, one-size-fits-all, end quote, framework. We've opted out of Jesus' life-on-life approach. Jesus mentored and discipled according to the development of the individual. For example, Peter was discipled differently than John, and different still from James. How to individualize each disciple's development today while seeking to minister to a large number of attendees is a significant challenge for today's church. Lifelong discipleship and leadership development is about the formation of the Christ-like life and its corresponding influence over time. Lifelong formation requires relationship and discovery, as opposed to over-reliance on more and more information and prescriptive answers. This is why many are leaving the church today. Their hunger and stage in development outstrips what the church is programmed to offer and the maturity level that they see around them. Could this also be a reason why, at this critical moment in history, when authentic believers who have a depth of faith are so needed, they are strangely absent? Though today's Christian has likely attended hundreds of worship services down through the years, many are still unable to translate what they have learned into a Christ-like life. It has produced a church largely silent in the midst of crisis, unable to respond to critical societal needs, mired in public opinion polls and political parties, and marginalized by much of the culture. The further one goes on, the more familiar the Christian life becomes. A growing hunger begins to surface. Longings for a deeper life with God begin to rest just below the surface. 
These are the first signs of the next stage in the development of a Christ follower. There is something more, and that something is called, quote-unquote, contribution. In their book, Sacred Romance, John Eldridge and Brent Curtis touch on the passions that often surround contribution. Some years into the spiritual journey, after the waves of anticipation that mark the beginning of any pilgrimage has begun to ebb into life's middle years of service and busyness, a voice speaks to us in the midst of all that we are doing. There's something missing in all of this, it suggests. There is something more. The research of Dr. J. Robert Clinton, The Making of a Leader, revealed that there are a series of six development phases that Christ followers and Christian leaders alike journey through. Each phase builds off the insights of the former. When seen over a lifetime, this developmental paradigm can be summed up into three major stages in the running of the race, calling, contribution, and convergence. Hebrews 12.1, 2 Timothy 4.7. The deciding transition bridges the gap between calling and contribution. Where calling focuses on entering the race and the initial stages of faith, contribution is focused on the running of the race and going to a new place with Christ. Calling serves to summarize purpose and values, defining what is important, where contribution fleshes out role and methods, and how what is important gets lived out on a day-to-day -day basis. Contribution is about wider influence that is built upon deeper intimacy with Christ. Even though we all experience moments of pain, brokenness, and wounding, Christ redeems all of life for his greater good and purpose. Romans 8.28 It's important to note that seeking to clarify contribution is not an adventure in ambition. John the Baptist's declaration is similar to the heart cry of one seeking to clarify their contribution. He must increase and I must decrease. John 3, 30-35 More than seeking to do great exploits for God, contribution is about discovering the good deeds that each of us have been shaped to do for God. Ephesians 2.10 It is a call to steward one's life and experiences. Contribution brings with it a new set of challenges. Life grows more and more complex. Along the way, resistance to God's shaping work comes from various voices that surround our lives. Many stop short of pursuing God, and the road to contribution becomes the road less traveled, as many begin to drift off course. The, quote, off-road, end quote, experiences of contribution often move into unknown territory that were not traveled during the days of calling. Ravines of doubt, dangerous curves around life's questions, and steep passageways over mountains of faith all make moving toward contribution difficult. Time seems to evaporate, energies begin to diminish, and demands of work, family, organizations, friends, and even church all seem to overload a life that once felt easy. The Apostle Paul felt, quote, struggles within and fears without, end quote, 2 Corinthians 7.5. That voice that once seemed so strong and clear in the early days of faith has now become muffled and unrecognizable. The still small voice is often lost in the challenges and obstacles that come from juggling life's demands. Often the journey of those in the deciding transition matches the snapshots of these Christ followers. Bob can't remember taking a day off or having some time just to himself, even just to catch his breath. He wants to hope that someday there will be time to sort things out, but that hope is evaporating under the weight of the never-ending things to do. And if that's how he feels today, forget about any chance that tomorrow would be better. Susan has reached the stage in life when she realizes that she is not the, quote, young one, end quote, anymore. Early clarity and her zeal of working with an on-campus ministry and discipling the hungry has evaporated. Now it's the demands of the job. Everything she does seems to take her further away from the few things she feels God may want her to do. Will she ever really know her role in life? Or will she just float into the sea of duties and responsibilities? 
Juan feels like he started behind. Therefore, he grabs at every opportunity in order to catch up. He always wanted to live a different kind of life and be involved in things that matter. But this approach quickly led him to saying yes to everything. Now he's overwhelmed. While he still maintains his passion and heart for God, he now finds he's unable to say no to all of what is coming at him. His fear is that if he makes the wrong choices, he will somehow miss out on what God has for him. The deciding transition and issues related to contribution bring with them a new set of questions. Of all the things I could do, what should I do? What is it that I must do as opposed to what are the things I can do? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Should I be thinking about change? How do I begin to say no to the good in order to say yes to the best? How do I even distinguish or decide between good and best? What are the few things that I could do that would make a real difference? Will my life count? The questions become even deeper as the transition persists. Why is it often so hard to hear God and know what he wants? Why is it that God seems to have gone silent? How do I go deeper with God? What does that look like? Is it enough to love God or must I always be doing something for him? In truth, do I really trust Christ or do I just desire a life that's secure? Why all the struggles? When did life get so hard? A final thought. Jesus often walked away from the busy. There were times when Christ separated himself from the crowds. It is sometimes hard to picture Jesus walking away from the demands for him to act and the challenges that he faced, but he did. Jesus often took a path different than the one the disciples and the crowd wanted him to take. There were times when more could have been done, more people helped, more people healed, more questions answered, but he disappeared in the crowds, Luke 4.30. In his humanity, he often chose solitude. It is where he gained his ability to hear and see what the Father was at work doing. His communion with the Father was what gave him the strength to meet the demands of the crowd. There's an old children's song that was taught and acted out in Sunday school programs across America during the 1960s and 70s. In retrospect, this simple song appears to be prophetic in nature. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I think I heard some of you singing along as you heard these words. The critical question is, how does the fountain flow? The answer is deep and wide. You and I will only go as wide as we're willing to go deep. Said another way, the breadth of our ministry is tied to the depth of our intimacy. Through the course of the deciding transition, the focus of God's work is on two fronts, depth or being and width or doing. Let's pause for a minute. How are you doing? Are we close to describing some of what you've been experiencing as of late? Do you hear your own voice in any of these questions? There's a good possibility that some of these questions might have hit their mark. They are questions of contribution. God may be using this in-between time and the questions it stirs in a different way than you might have first imagined. Before rushing on, linger here for a few more minutes. Let it sink in. You're most likely in a time of transition. Give yourself the permission to be present. Wait, rest, let him speak to you. Dive deeper. Deciding. This overview provided you with chapter one of the Leader Breakthrough book focused on this second strategic transition. The book Deciding, Clarifying Your Kingdom Contribution, 
includes a more detailed look at this second major strategic transition. The deciding transition can often occur somewhere in the leader's early 40s to mid-50s. In this book, you're introduced to issues of major role, effective methods, and statement of intent. Together, they comprise the personal life mandate and a decision-making grid for the future. The book also includes a coaching questions and a small group outline to help you process the idea of transitions with others. Another resource. Check out the Leader Breakthrough online process, Apex. Leaderbreakthrough.com backslash Apex. In one's late 50s to mid 60s, the final strategic transition often occurs. The finishing transition. Finishing does not mean an individual is finished, but rather this transition seeks to ready a Christ follower for the end game and finishing well. Have a look. Finishing transition. Typical age, 60 to 70s. Issue, life legacy. Development issue, authority. Coaching focus, finishing well. Coach's role slash contribution, belief and hope. Key skill, forwarding. Benefit of coaching, first look at legacy. Transition focus, influence without position, coaching and mentoring others. Where are they? Life maturing slash convergence, challenge. Influence without position. What's at stake? Retiring and not finishing well. What not to do? False praise, allowing them to coast. What's needed? Paradigm shift, empowering others. Coaching questions. Talk about what you think about when it comes to quote-unquote finishing well. Describe your thoughts and feelings about not having a job or a title and the impact that has had on your feelings of worth or on others knowing how to involve you. Describe what you think you could offer someone in terms of help, counsel, or resources. How has or how does God use you to influence others regardless of the position or job that you've held? What would others say is the most important major contribution or impact on their life? What excites you the most about the days ahead and having some time to focus on what you feel like God really wants? What do you see as your limitations? Who around you would love you to invest in and spend time with if given the opportunity? If you could offer one thing to someone who is hungry for help, what would that be? Who could you walk together with in order to be an encouragement to each other to stay active and finish well? Part 5. Completing the race set before you. And what if Christ's call on our lives is not to conform to our culture? What if Christ's call in us compels us to counter our culture? David Platt, A Compassionate Call to Counter Culture. Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not to propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. The confusion here is fatal. J.I. Packer, Fundamentalism and the Word of God. Snapshot of Finishers. He's 59 years old. He was considering the biggest decision of his life, to sell his dental practice. For the last few years, he has known that there is something more, beyond just continuing to grow his practice. He wanted to take his vocational skills to countries that needed them the most, and to have his dentistry skills provide him an entry into places and experiences that could better allow him to live out his faith. His faith has been worked out in the suburbs he has inhabited most of his life, but would it work around the world? Would his faith be the same as when he was helping construct a sound foundation to young men and emerging Christ followers? He was beginning to realize that his greatest moments in life had not been tooth abstractions, but rather times when his income base and his unique skills had provided him time to listen, coach, and mentor the hungry, the hurting, and especially the emerging leaders who face questions related to faith and God's faithfulness. 
He was not quite sure how this would all work out, but the more he moved towards this moment, the more he knew it was something God wanted him to do. Something inside of him was saying, it's time. And though he still felt like he had many years to contribute, he knew this decision set up his most important days. Is he retiring? Hardly. She's 63 years young. She is gifted to nurture and care for others. Almost every thought within her is about solving problems and finding ways to better care for those she loves and desires to help. Everyone sees this about her, and even seeks to help her by acknowledging her gifting. Her contribution has now serviced in new expressions beyond her most important work as a mother and grandmother. She'll always first care for family, but as her family grows, the empty nest season has launched something new. Her experience in the home has readied her to care for others who are in need. Her ability to solve problems and care for details could be applied to those within the organization she finds herself working in. She now serves the needs of those who desire to finish well. She has never been a fan of titles or labels, but ironically, she now finds herself as the quote-unquote administrator of a Christian ministry. She troubleshoots and seeks to help others receive the help and resources they need. She feels like she's just being herself, but others see that what she offers is invaluable. Her greatest act of worship is offering all of who she is to those she serves, helping her family and others better advance Christ's kingdom. Who she is matches what she does, allowing her to move into a time of life convergence. He really can't believe it, but he's 71 years old. He still feels strong and ready to take on ministry, but he realizes it is time to pass on the reins onto a younger, even more gifted leader than himself. He's had a good run. He planted the church and had the opportunity to be there long term. He's seen many families come through, and now the kids are leaders in the church. He's excited for what's next. He knows that he's made a difference. But now he's excited to do some teaching, to offer encouragement to some of the younger pastors in the area, and to coach some leaders who serve in the marketplace. They want his help figuring out how their business can make a kingdom difference. And oh yeah, he wants to make time to be with his kids and grandkids. He took some time off away from the church to give the new vicar time to settle in. It's his church to lead now. His new role is to be accessible to those God has already brought down his path, as well as to those who he has yet to recognize. She's 73 years old and still going strong. She used to be a nurse, and now, at heart, she remains someone who wants to help people to thrive and grow. Professionally, she wandered into education, administration, and ended up serving many higher learning institutions. She migrated all the way up to president of several colleges. She has lived a busy and productive life. After stepping aside, she chose to serve on the board of a Christian college and was thrust into a role of interim chair of the board as it faced a traumatic moment in its history, one that threatened its survival. Her skills and integrity came together. She was trusted because of her gifting and because of her experience. A hard truth was faced. Tough decisions were made. Storms came and went. She was used by the Lord to lead them to the other side. The board ended up honoring her service by naming their school of nursing after her. She was not seeking recognition. Awards had already been afforded to her. She just wanted to make a difference, and she saw a task that must be done. I, Terry, am often asked, what will life look like as I enter the finishing transition and this third chapter of life? It will look like the men and women described above as they transition into a time of ultimate contribution. They are not finished, but they have chosen to lean into this time of transition and make the choices necessary to live into all of whom God has shaped them to be. They are neither young nor old. They are very much alive and they are passionate to finish well. We see it in the dentist who has entered the pre-retirement age and decides to sell his dental practice to help ensure that his finish makes a difference. He represents Christ followers who are coming upon convergence and illustrates how God can use one's restlessness 
and hunger to set up the next major stage in one's development. The selling of the business is not convergence, but the process is being used by God to help him discover how he desires to use his life in the days ahead. The dentist's spiritual gifts, passion for the poor, and dentistry skills are all beginning to converge together to reveal a purpose and a contribution still very much in formation. We see it in a mother who is moving into new opportunities even as she continues to struggle to recognize her skills, experiences, and contribution. She represents many who often discount and minimize their value and ability to work outside their previous context. Her gifting and abilities have been in formation all of her life, and now are being brought together to be expressed in new ways she had previously thought impossible. It looks like the pastor, who represents those in vocational ministry, who often become too defined by their job, position, or role. This pastor has chosen not to see himself only through that lens. The loss of position does not mean the loss of influence, especially in light of the spiritual authority God has given him in the lives of many. Defining his new role around how he can help, as opposed to the position he holds, is key as he chooses to stay in the game. We see it also in the board member who used her abilities to help rescue a college that was in trouble, bringing to bear a wide variety of experiences and just-in-time counsel. Her story represents the coming together of skills, abilities, and character to do something one has been shaped to do, but not for the sake of award or notoriety or acclaim, but because it needs to be done and can be done using one's entrustments. The kingdom's advance was possible because this board member stepped in. Jesus never stops discipling his disciples. There's no such thing as quote-unquote retirement. While energies do lessen and financial resources tighten, this final stage of life was never intended by God to be a time of quote-unquote burying one's talents, life experiences, and resources. Matthew 25, 14-30 The Christ-like life is always about stewardship, investing in and empowering others, whether we find ourselves at the beginning or the end of our journey. Jesus called for life to be lived to its fullest. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10:10. 10, 10. We are called to run the race of life, not just to finish, but to win. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 1 Corinthians 9:24. And God's design is for each of us to contribute good deeds which he authored before time began, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 Together, these verses tell of Christ followers who are passionate to finish well. They are lifelong learners who experience times of repeated renewal and deeper growth, and they hunger for the adventure that these final days offer. There are Christ followers who have taken a different path. They decide to protect their life in the end game, rather than continue to live their life. They settle in, plateau, and arrest their development, going back in time to when they felt most alive, hoping they can just stay there. These also hold back the church, locking up resources and restricting the younger generations from leading the church forward. What they fail to realize is that discipleship with Christ never stops. It continues to move and life is found in the living. Passionate God worshipers choose to live their lives at the end far differently from those who have plateaued or from a culture that continues to plan and posture for quote-unquote retirement. Joseph's most important days were his final days. Paul modeled a life that finished well and served to the end. Caleb was faithful and passionate at the end and was given the right with Joshua to enter that long promised land. Mary treasured all the times with Christ and stayed true even in the midst of struggle and challenge. John lived a life focused on a new heaven and earth. On and on the list goes. 
Hebrews 11 tells of those who live their faith to the end. We who love Christ live in an upside-down kingdom. Though many in church often wander away from God's purposes and plans, there are still many who choose to live a life far different than what surrounds them. It is a life lived to its fullest, even to the end, and a life that leaves behind a godly legacy. Cultural Norms In order to counteract the norms that continue to be reinforced by our culture, we must first call them out and recognize their strong influence on the thought processes and conversations that surround our endgame strategies. Many people view these norms as quote-unquote rites of passage for those crossing over into retirement. They typically fall into one of the following three entitlements, or cultural norms. The norm of rest. This is the growing desire to relinquish responsibilities, service, and even engagement because of the tiredness that comes from the years of active involvement. The conversation around the table moves to arguing that it's time for the young to assume responsibility for what needs to occur and to begin to come to grips with the effort required. It's time for those who have served to finally rest. They've earned their break. What's true? Engagement and serving over time takes its toll. Carrying responsibilities and demands gets old. And the older one gets, the more challenging and demanding the tasks get. What's missed? Rest can often produce a loss of commitment or growth. Rest does not mean full relinquishment. It should refer to more adapting, changing, or downsizing one's multiple roles and responsibilities to match the new realities of less energy and capacity. What's lost? When the norm is adopted, the adventure begins to end. The loss of involvement often means the loss of contact and the chance to quote-unquote rub shoulders with others, especially the younger generation, is lost. It is in the task that values are revealed and relationships are forged. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33, King James Version. The norm of reward. This is the entitlement norm that believes after years of sacrificing for others, it is now time for us. While they have been serving, others have been enjoying. Now it's our turn. This norm moves into a time where lifestyle now includes leisure, consumption, and justifying the expending of one's resources on personal wants and desires. The rationale is that now it's time for us to enjoy our lives. This norm sets up a dichotomy between one's life before and one's life now, as if they are two different lives. What's true? Many of life's demands and duties have often crowded out time to travel or even enjoy much of life that surrounds us. While few in the world have opportunities to think in these terms, nonetheless, the ideas of travel and enjoyment are not outside the scope of kingdom life. What's missed? Reward and entitlement are dangerous measuring sticks. With so much need surrounding us, consuming for the value of consumption is not a kingdom lifestyle. Utilizing our resources at the end differently being freed up to help and minister to others, is a kingdom value. Travel, serving, and moving into new opportunities can keep the adventure alive. What's lost? Entitlement is self-centeredness, pure and simple. To adopt a life posture of, quote-unquote, I deserve, as opposed to, quote-unquote, I have been given, works against the very nature of the gospel and the grace of Christ that has been showed to us. We each have been given too much. Our job is now to give. Generosity and gratitude produce life. Entitlement seeks only to rob. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Matthew 25, 35-36 The Norm of Retreat This is the desire to go off and just be by ourselves, whether in the mountain hideaway the countryside home, 
or some retirement village or less populated area to finally have the nice, quiet life. This norm has appeals to many who have worked hard, who are tired of all the demands and pressures, and who would rather just, quote-unquote, sit by the dock of the bay. What's true? As life goes longer, our lifestyles change. The appeal that comes from the rush, the busyness, and the challenges no longer attract us. Time away, and even time in other venues, often provide the rest and ability to soldier on. Life today is a life of noise. Solitude and time to live around new landscapes and environments is life-giving. What's missed? Retreat brings with it the potential of growing isolation. Often we hide instead of grow during times of retreat. Being away can heal, but it can often harm. It allows us to retreat back within ourselves, arresting our growth and development by sealing ourselves off from the world and interaction. What's lost? Spiritual formation comes as we interact both with our God, with our understanding of ourselves, and with others. Community is key to formation. Though our lives may have been wounded or even scarred through the interactions of life, being engaged with others in day-to-day -day life is one of the core tools the potter uses to shape our lives. The loss of others often means the loss of life. It's time to rethink how many, even in the church today, are approaching their finishing years. John Piper, pastor, author, and speaker, has challenged Christians in America to live counterculturally with regards to retirement. Let his words sink in. What a tragedy is occurring in America today. This is one of the biggest tragedies in our culture. That billions of dollars are invested every year to get people my age to waste the rest of their lives. This tragedy is called retirement. While the world is uncared for medically, uneducated, drinking filthy water, are poverty-ridden, and unevangelized, these needs sink under the weight of healthy 65-year-old people playing bridge, shuffleboard, and collecting shells, fishing and golfing their way into the presence of King Jesus. And you and I are going to join them, my friends, unless we make some very radical decisions and commitment about where your treasure is. The point? It is possible that you are tired, beat up by life and its challenges, and you want rest and to cease striving. But ahead is something more. The finishing transition is a border crossing. It is the entrance to the third stage of one's discipleship as a Christ follower. Life is not over. A significant chapter has yet to be lived. Ahead is a new place and a life full of focus and intention. Those who have gone before us have discovered that life is in the finishing and have learned how to finish well. We close this chapter with a question. If you knew God would give you another 10 to 20 years of good health and energy to live, to help advance Christ's kingdom and the life to others, what would you do with those years? Convergence is when all of life begins to quote-unquote resonate together, just like the instruments of an orchestra playing in perfect pitch and harmony, resulting in beautiful music that's never been heard before. Applying it. In this final chapter, we sought to build the case that finishing transition does not mean you're finished. There is an important influence and contribution still ahead. Think about the following. Number one, in the past, how much have you relied upon your position or job title to give you authority or influence? Number two, in the present, when you think about helping others, what are you most excited about? What are you most worried about? Number three, in the future, how would you describe a life well lived? Dive deeper, finishing. This overview provided you with chapter two of Leader Breakthrough book focused on this third strategic transition. The book Finishing, Completing the Race Set Before You, includes a more detailed look at this third major strategic transition. 
the finishing transition often occurs somewhere in an individual's late 50s to late 60s. In this book, you're introduced to issues of convergence and finishing well. One critical component is having influence and impact without position. The book also includes coaching questions and a small group outline to help you process the idea of transitions with others. Another resource. Check out the Leader Breakthrough online process, Resonance, at leaderbreakthrough.com backslash resonance. Finishing completes the third of three major strategic transitions that all Christ followers live. The final pages ahead seek to introduce you to resources that Leader Breakthrough offers related to your lifelong personal development as a Christ follower. All of these resources and more are available at leaderbreakthrough.com. Transition Resources Leadership Development Series Leader Breakthrough's Leadership Development Series consists of three books that take a closer look at the three transition moments that every Christ follower will face. Each book can be used as a personal read, a small group resource, or one-on-one coaching resource. For an introduction and overview of transitions, check out the book Stuck, Navigating the Transitions of Life and Leadership by Terry Walling. Awakening. The awakening transition often occurs early on in a Christ follower's life and causes individuals to examine what it means to be called by God and to make decisions related to life direction and focus. Awakening will surface issues of past development, core values, life purpose, and personal vision. Leaderbreakthrough.com backslash awakening. Deciding. The deciding transition occurs at the middle of an individual's life, often when one becomes so busy with life that they stop living. This transition is about clarifying one's unique contribution and about learning to say no to what's good in order to say yes to what's best. Deciding will surface issues of role, effective methods, and unique contribution. Leaderbreakthrough.com backslash deciding. Finishing. The finishing transition occurs near the end of one's life and ministry. It's during this transition that Christ followers begin to focus on their legacy, what they want to leave behind for others to follow. Finishing will surface key postures for finishing well, clarifying an ultimate contribution, influencing without a position, and coaching slash mentoring others. Leaderbreakthrough.com backslash finishing. Three core processes. Leader Breakthrough offers three core personal development processes that are designed to guide one's ongoing development. Together, they comprise a leadership development system for churches, missions, ministries, and organizations. If you'd like more information about these processes, would like to go through one of the processes online, or would like to gain a license to facilitate one of the processes in your context, please visit leaderbreakthrough.com. Focus Living Awakening Transition The focus living process consists of six sessions related to clarifying life direction and personal calling. This process helps leaders and all Christ followers gain perspective through the development of core values, a statement of being or life purpose, and a statement of doing or personal vision. Leaderbreakthrough.com backslash focus dash living. Apex, deciding transition. The apex process consists of eight sessions that bring greater clarity to a Christ follower's unique personal contribution. This process will help individuals discover issues related to their major role and effective methods, and will provide a decision-making grid called a personal life mandate that will help to guide any choices that lay ahead. Leaderbreakthrough.com backslash apex. Resonance, finishing transition. The resonance process is a series of three preparatory meetings and three strategic discussions by those who love Christ and desire to finish well. 
This process helps Christ followers to clarify how to have influence without position, empower others, and leave behind a godly legacy. Leaderbreakthrough.com backslash resonance. End notes. Number one, Josh Packard and Ashley Hope, Church Refugees. Group Publishing, 2015. Locator, 310. Number two, Josh Packard and Ashley Hope, Locator, 177. Number three, Christianity Today, The CT Editorial, February 27, 2008. Number four, Brent Curtis and John Eldridge, Sacred Romance. Thomas Nelson Publishers, 1997, page one. Number five, John Piper, Desiring God Video. Leader Breakthrough. Find more tools to help you live, lead, and finish well at leaderbreakthrough.com.